0: Bond by Nick Bastin Copyright 2019, Nick Bastin Chapter 70, The Extraction While well, it hadn't looked far on the map by the time they got to the top of the short hill that led from Porter Valley to the Castle driveway, both Nin and Alistair were pouring with sweat. The cool air did not offset the sunshine and the steep gradient, not to mention the weight of the cake. Nin was cursing Alistair under his breath, all the way up the hill for the size and extravagance of the offering. As they got to the castle, they were stopped by the sentry at the gatehouse, who passed them down for weapons and then expected the cake. Satisfied there was nothing suspicious, he radiated ahead to the kitchen and sent them on their way. While the main drive curved the way to the south and ran along a small lock to the castle, the back driveway went straight up the hill and was sandwiched on either side by forestry. After a few hundred yards, it started to bend around the back of the stumpy hill, Crococestel, the castle rock, against whose southern flank the castle sheltered, before swinging around to arrive at the rear of the castle itself. They needed to time their rendezvous with Charlie and Gillespie very carefully to the exact moment that they were out of sight of the gatehouse, but before they were in view from the castle. It was as the drive made this final climb around the rock, with the forestry close on either side that they planned to meet and collect all their gear. This was a key part of the plan, since there was no way they had been allowed to walk through Castle Ascog's gates carrying weapons, but without them, the rescue was doomed. As soon as they turned the bend out of view of the gatehouse, Nin could see Charlie's camouflaged face peering out through the branches of a massive ponticum bush. Nin's eyes followed the line of Charlie's pointing finger to two slim black backpacks lying under a bush right by the tarmac. If you didn't know they were there, you could have walked past them a hundred times without seeing them. Nin steered Alistair and the cake over to the bush, and having placed the cake box on the ground, he lifted his kilt to take an extravagant piss. He reckoned that any watchers would likely avert their gaze, and once he'd finished, he discreetly swept the bags up from under the bush. Moments later, they each had a pack on their backs, and again picked up the cake to walk the last few hundred yards to the back door. Castle Ascog was an unusual combination of 18th-century refinement and medieval brutality. It was as if two houses had been smashed uncomfortably together. Most of the castle was 15th century, with a huge round tower on the southeastern corner surmounted by a spiked roof. But there was also a more refined, 18th-century wing. This was where Lamont spent most of his time, preferring its gracious proportions and high ceilings to the dark and rather mean rooms in the old building. As at Dunderave, there were windows scattered across its façade, there were windows scattered across its façade with no seeming logic to their placement, and two Bartizan turrets hung above the main entrance, set under a Corby-stepped gable. Front of the castle looked out over Loch Ascog to the south, which was really more of a large pond, while the latter wing looked across the Loch Fine towards Tarbert. A vertiginous wall of rough masonry towered above Nin and Alistair as they arrived at the back door. As befitted an ancient stronghold, there were no windows on the ground floor. Instead, there were gun loops and arrow slits that scrutinised their approach. The door itself was pale and studded oak with a massive wrought iron ring for a handle. They rang the bell and waited. A voice came over a small speaker asking who they were and what the delivery was. Nin tried to keep his voice calm as he explained that they had come from MacFarlane's Bakery in Tarbot and had a special delivery for Lord Lament. There was a brief pause before a buzzer sounded and the door swung open. A shotgun-toting Lament met them at the door and ushered them into a spotless white hallway. There was a counter at the far end, behind which sat a hatchet-faced woman who was eyeing them suspiciously beneath a mansion of coiffed and coiled hair. As they approached the counter, she put down the nail file that she'd been buffing her already perfect nails. "'Who are you? You come from McFarlane's, right? "'Where are the usual delivery boys? This is highly irregular. "'We've not placed an order, so I don't understand why you're here.' As Nin tried to answer her, she put her palm in his face and shushed him. "'No, don't talk. You're here to carry things, not speak.' Let me do the speaking. I have to call McFarlane's and find out what's going on. This is all highly irregular. As she picked up the phone, Nin felt a chill go down his spine. If the alarm was raised now, they would have no chance of making it down to the sub-levels. He couldn't allow her to make that call. He tried to speak, but again found himself staring at her palm, and for emphasis she brought her index finger across her lips and pointed at him. He was speechless, and not just because she wanted him to be. The Lament with the shotgun was standing in the corner, not exactly poised like a coiled spring, but certainly alert. Just as he was about to do something reckless, Nin heard Alice's honeyed tones pour like a soothing balm across the counter. Madam, I'm really sorry that we're putting you to so much trouble. My colleague and I would only be too delighted for you to call McFarland's, but as you can see, the cake is a special delivery for Lord Lament on his investiture as Colonel of the Black Watch. "'Look here. Take a close look at the design.' He made a strange pass with his hand in front of her eyes while directing her gaze at the surface of the cake. Her eyes immediately became slightly glazed and seemed to follow his hand over the ornate writing iced onto the cake's white surface. "'Yes,' she said, suddenly dreamy. "'Lovely, isn't it? What pretty colours. "'I do love the battle honours. A charming touch. "'His lordship will be pleased.' ''Should we take it to the kitchen?'' Alistair asked, slowly, the syllables rolling and dripping off his tongue like nectar. The whole room seemed to shrink in to listen to every word as they emerged and fluttered free from his lips. ''Kitchen. Yes, the kitchen. What are you waiting for? You should take it to the kitchen. Here, Davy.'' She clicked her fingers at the man with the shotgun. ''Take these gentlemen to the kitchen. They have an important delivery.'' As they were about to leave, Alistair suddenly returned to the counter. Could you also please tell me the Wi-Fi code? Wi-Fi code? Yes, of course. It's 123456. Thank you and have a nice day. The receptionist returned her gaze into space. Davy slung the shotgun on his back and led the way down the corridor, swiping through a steel blast door and on into the castle. Nin was seriously impressed by Alistair's hypnosis technique. He'd even found himself hooked on the drip of those delicious syllables, unable to think beyond their perfect golden drops. It had gotten them into the castle. Now they just needed to dump this goddamn cake. Davy took them down a flight of tight, wired, rough wooden stairs onto a long, dim corridor lined with linen presses and cupboards. They passed exotically labelled doors that echoed the house's long history. Dairy, scullery, still room, and pantry. Eventually, they came to a large stainless steel door with a glass observation panel set in the center. This was the kitchen proper. Dressed in white and with his hair tied up in a net, the chef was hard at work glazing some pastries with dribbles of caramelized sugar. Without deigning to speak to them, he gestured that they should leave the cake on the counter. Nin turned to Davy and asked him to hold the cake for a moment. As Davy unquestioningly took Nin's end of the cake, Nin reached across the steel counter and picked up a heavy wooden rolling pin. Before Davy even knew what was going on, let alone react, Nin smashed him round the head with it, knocking him out cold. Davy collapsed headfirst into the cake, soaking its white royal icing in a carmine flood of blood. At the sound of the blow, the chef raised his eyes, but before he could do more than squirt caramel over Nin's kilt, he too had been battered with a sharp blow to the temple. He dropped like a stone. Alistair and Nin knew that the clock was now ticking, They roughly tied the bodies up, stuffing rags in their mouths before manhandling them into a huge plate warmer that ran down the middle of the kitchen. They kicked the remains of the cake under the counter. From a distance, nothing appeared untoward. They extracted the assault rifles from the backpacks, screwed the silencers on and primed the various features. Then, having distributed grenades and sidearms, they pulled on their back-mounted scabbards and Alistair produced a pistol crossbow and loaded a bolt. Finally, they put in their earpieces and logged onto the Lament Wi-Fi so that they could connect with the team while they were below ground. "'Fiona, are you there?' whispered Nin. There was a brief silent pause which felt like it lasted an hour before Fiona's calm voice came on the line. "'Yes, I'm here. Sorry, I was on mute. So stupid. Sorry.' "'No problem. Okay, let's do this. "'We're in the castle kitchen, probably on level minus one. Can you see us?' Aye, said Fiona, got you. Now you need to come out of the kitchen and turn left down that long corridor. When you get to the end, you should see a stairwell. That should take you down to sub-level three, after which I'll need to give you more directions. They moved off, leaving the relative sanctuary of the kitchen. Alistair was in the lead, the pistol crossbow in his hand, the assault rifle slung across his chest. Nin followed. Corridor was empty and they moved quickly and quietly down to the stairwell at the far end. Alistair paused at the junction, pressed flat to the wall, straining to hear any sounds from the lower levels. Someone was whistling tunelessly somewhere. Whether it was coming from above or below was impossible to tell. The stairwell was a gloomy, dimly lit concrete shaft with treads of black painted steel, puckered with heavy non-slip cleats. Nin knew that this would reverberate to the sound of their footsteps unless they were very careful. Alistair slipped around the corner and, crouching low, hugged the wall, He seemed to float down the first flight of stairs, as silently as a breath of wind. Nin followed, doing his best to emulate the grace and silky smoothness of his partner, but feeling like a bull in a china shop by comparison. Even the rustle of his webbing seemed deafening to his heightened senses. At the bottom of the flight, Alistair put his hand up to hold Nin on the half-landing. There were footsteps, but it was impossible to tell where they were coming from. The echo of the stairwell, cheating them of any clues. After a few seconds, the footsteps died away and silence descended again. Alister moved into the corridor, holding his crossbow at the ready. Nothing, just a long, dreary, dark corridor flanked by closed doors. Lin was already pouring with sweat. The more he rubbed his brow, the more it seemed to run down his face, its salty sting blurring his vision. He tried to blink it away in focus. He had not done any active service for a few years, not since he'd been going out with Charlie the tension of a field deployment was something that he hadn't missed. Despite the situation, he found his mind wandering to Charlie in that night in Dune. Would that be their last night together? He tried to push that thought out of his mind. Meanwhile, Alistair walked around the turn of the banister and down the next flight of stairs as if he had every right to be there. Nothing. No shouts or questions. Nin followed his lead, and they then quickly worked their way down the next flights to sub-level three. Okay, Fiona, are you there? Nin asked, heart in his throat. With each level, they were getting deeper, and like a diver without a clear route to the surface above, the mental and physical pressure were mounting. Aye. Are you in position, she replied. Yes, we're about to enter sub-level three. Where do we go? Turn left. I mean right. Sorry, right. Uh, definitely right. Fuck's sake, do you not know you're left from your fucking right now, muttered Nin under his breath, as he and Alice had turned the corner. He could swear that whistling was getting louder. And was that a scream he just heard? Yes, that was definitely a scream. A long, high-pitched, soul-wrenching scream. It just trailed away. It wasn't close, but it was there. The corridors also now had an oppressive, musty, fetid funk. The smell of recycled air mixed with sweat and fear. Air that has never blown across the open hill, just been breathed and breathed again. Belched and farted, coughed and sneezed, screamed and cried. The smell encapsulated claustrophobia and oppression better than any locked door. What was this place? What the fuck were they doing? How are they ever going to get out? Fiona broke into his mind, stopping the negative thoughts in their tracks. From the look of the plan, there should be a turn on your left and about 15 feet. Follow that and you should find the stairwell to the remaining sublevels. When you get down to sub-level 5, there is an open landing, just up from the stairwell to your right. That might be a meeting area, so be careful. Nin felt they needed to pick up the pace. There was no saying when the mess in the kitchen would be discovered or when the receptionist would figure out that Davy hadn't returned. He tapped Alistair on the back and whispered in his ear. Alistair nodded and moved out into the corridor. As he turned the corner, he ran straight into a middle-aged man carrying a laptop and an armful of folders. The man did not even have chance to react before Alistair put the crossbow to his forehead and pulled the trigger. The bolt thudded into his skull, disappearing entirely, leaving a black hole as the only evidence of its passage. The man's body started to shake with shock, the only sound a dreadful wheezing like a deflating balloon. Alistair hugged him, trapping his arms and stopping him from dropping the laptop and folders. They needed to find somewhere to leave his body. Nin opened the first door across from the stairwell. It was empty apart from a few filing cabinets and a desk. They sat him on the chair, allowing his body to slump forward. To the casual eye, it looked like he was asleep, as long as he ignored the steady seep of blood that was pooling on the desk in front of him. Nin frisked him, pocketing his security pass. They moved to the next stairwell. This led to the deep sublevels. Alastair clipped his crossbow to his webbing, instead favouring his assault rifle. The time for stealth was over. Now they were this deep, they needed speed more than anything. They passed sub-level four. Nin felt a pang of angst that so they were not going to save Kirsty first, but the agreed plan was to start deep and then to work their way back up. If they didn't get McCallan more now, they'd never reach him. He prayed that nothing was going to prevent them from coming back for her. On sub-level five, it became obvious that Fiona was right. There were voices in a radio playing country and western music just up the corridor. Nin hated country and western. There were at least three voices, maybe more. Nim decided to deploy some of the tech that it had brought from Caddles to even the odds. He rummaged in his backpack and pulled out the woofer drone. He launched it into the air, keeping in the shadows as close as he could to the ceiling above the pendant lights. He flew it very slowly along the corridor, its camera confirming that there were three guards, all of whom were distracted, drinking coffee, reading the raven, gossiping and vaping. The drone was almost invisible above the lights. It was only when it was nearly over them that one of the three guards pointed up at it. Slack-jawed. Nin activated the sonic pulse and the three figures were instantaneously convulsed as if by an invisible and silent explosion that splayed them across the table. He and Alistair sprinted around the corner and down the corridor, kicking away their guns and pulling away any knives. They needn't have worried. The men were incapable of putting up any resistance. They were like jelly. It was as if all their bones had been sucked out of their bodies. Manhandling them was difficult, but they had no time for pleasantries. Finding the nearest cell, he and Alistair just dumped them in a heap on the floor before locking the door with a big bunch of keys from the table. Nin stashed the drone back in his pack and ran to join Alistair on the stairs to the sixth and lowest level. He not only felt the weight of the earth now, but also that of John Lamont and his cruelties. It was a physical burden that was exuded by this evil building, as if it was trying to choke them like it had so many others. But they had come too far to turn back, As he descended that last flight of stairs, and then replayed Charlie's last words to him before they'd parted earlier that evening. Don't think, just do it. That's just about all you could do right now. No thought, just action. Chapter seventy one THE Sixth Floor They'd already had enough of sneaking about these infernal, dimly lit corridors. He wanted to get out. Back towards the light. They were too deep and the pressure was beginning to show, even on the iron-nerved Alistair McGregor. Fiona was in their ear, giving them directions as they descended, the final flight of stairs onto the sixth and deepest level. This was the most secure area of the castle where valuable and dangerous prisoners were kept. No surprise that when they came to the bottom of the stairwell, there was a solid steel door with a keypad and swipe, but no handle. Nin did not like the look of this one bit. He fished out the security pass he'd taken off the dead guard and tried it in the swipe. The LED flashed green. The door opened with an audible click. Nothing could have prepared them for the sight that confronted them. In contrast to the dimly lit corridors, this room was brilliant white, with blazing strip lights, a hard poured rubber floor, and a long wall of identical cell doors. With a few paintings on the walls, it could have been a Soho art gallery. But the only colour here was red. It was puddled on the floor, splashed up the walls, sprayed on the ceiling. There were flicks and dribbles, splodges and gouts, trickles and streaks, as if Jackson Pollock had been let loose, but with only one colour in his palette, from scarlet and vermilion through firebrick to maroon and crusty brown. In the centre of the room were two men, standing by an unfortunate recipient of their attention, who was suspended from the ceiling by his arms on a rope that barely allowed his feet to touch the floor. Alistair did not even pause, squeezing off a burst from his assault rifle, into first one, then the other torturer, the only sound being the soft thud of the bullets finding their target, the shrink of the self cocking mechanism reloading the chamber after each round, and the tinkle of the casings falling to the floor. The impact of the bullets threw the men to the ground, and Alistair immediately ran over to deliver a headshot to each. Nin felt like he was going to be sick. He had seen death and injuries up close, but not like this. This was beyond barbaric. He cut down the man hanging from the ceiling. What was left of him, he felt for a pulse. Nothing. Just as he was standing up from the corpse, a door opened on the far side of the room and two men entered. They were taken by surprise and Nin managed to drop one in the doorway with a well-aimed burst. The other turned and fled through the closing door, a line of bullets pitting the wall behind him. Without a word, Alistair set off in hot pursuit. Nin ran down the line of doors until he found cell two. As he opened the door, he saw a hatch in the floor, which he lifted and flung to the side the hole was black and stank. He could see and hear nothing below. He called down to Macallan Moore, praying they were not too late, or that Vienna's reconnaissance had not been wrong. Initially a hoarse croak answered, which grew into a desperate yell. Nin flicked through the switches until the light came on in the hole. There, on his knees, covered in excrement of filth, was the bloodied and naked figure of Macallan Moore, his arms raised in supplication to his potential saviour. In the corner of the room was a ladder which Nin lowered for McCallamore to climb up. He was initially worried that after what he'd been through, Macallan might not have the strength to get out by himself. But the desperation with which he scrabbled up those rungs told their own story. As he clawed his way over the lip of the hatch, Nin was shocked at the state he was in. After all, he'd only been missing for a week or so. He was a mess. He pulled him by the hand back to the torture chamber and told him to grab whatever clothing he could off the dead bodies on the floor while he looked for Alistair. He stepped over the body of the dead lament in the doorway and poked his head into the long, dark corridor down which Alistair had disappeared. He whispered into his microphone, calling for him, and then, throwing caution to the wind, shouted Alistair's name into the darkness. Nothing. Fuck, 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 fuck. Where was he? Should he go after him? What if he'd been wounded and needed help? How long was this corridor? How deep were these goddamn tunnels? As far as he could hear, the alarm had not been raised. Yet. He needed to get to Kirsty. and while he hated leaving Alistair in this hole, he had to fulfil their mission. Alistair would just have to look after himself. He returned to the torture chamber where McAllen Moore was tightening the last buckle on the Lament kilt he had taken. He had no shirt, but grabbed a jacket from the back of a chair and buttoned it up. As long as he didn't look at his legs and feet which stuck out bare and bloody below the kilt, he almost looked like a North Lament clansman. There was no time to search the bodies, but Nin did see McAllen Moore, filter Ski and Dew from the stocking of one of the dead and then passed him one of his sidearms for good measure. They needed to get to Kirsty before the castle was locked down. Running to the steel door, he swiped the card and breathed a sigh of relief as the LED went green and the door clicked open. At least they were out of that hellhole. He couldn't bear the thought of dying down there. He quickly explained to McAllen Moore what they were about to do and to follow his lead. Although he was in a weakened state, McCallum Moore's eyes shone with adrenaline. Nin had seen that look before on the battlefield and knew that although it could carry a man a long way, it didn't last forever. Stepping smartly up the stairs, they passed the still-empty sub-level 5 before coming up onto sub-level 4. This was another one of those interminable dim, empty corridors lined with closed doors that reminded Nin of the violent computer games he used to play as a child. Maybe this was their original source of inspiration. "'Fiona,' he whispered, "'we're on sub-level 4. I have Macallan Moore but have lost Alistair.' I need you to guide me to Kirsty's cell. Fast. Fiona's calm voice came over his earpiece. She's in cell three. From the stairwell, turn right, and it's the first turning on the left, second door along. Nin ran down the empty corridor to the corner, where he paused, waiting for McCann and Moore to catch up. He checked the safety was off on his assault rifle and turned the corner. There were two guards chatting about twenty yards away. Nin's first few shots went wide as he ran towards them, but he had the advantage. He had an automatic weapon and it was in his hands while their sidearms were holstered. He stitched a burst up the nearest guard who screamed and fell back against the wall. His colleague at least managed to draw his weapon and raise it before Nin caught him too, propelling him backwards into a writhing leap on the floor. At that second, the alarm sounded. Nin left McCullum to deal with the two wounded laments while he opened cell three. As earlier, this had two parts, the upper part giving access to the trap door and the lower part was where the prisoner was kept. As there was no way for the prisoner to reach the trapdoor far above them, the security of the upper room was light. Essentially there was only a handle on the outside but no locks. Nin opened the door, flicking on all the light switches, lifted the hatch and peered down into the cell below. The cell was empty. Kirsty was gone. Chapter 72 Deep the figure ahead jinked from side to side as he ran, pushing off the walls as he turned each corner to try and maintain his momentum. He was fast, knew these corridors well, and Alistair was encumbered with all his gear, but he was still gaining. Just as he was within touching distance, the man ran into a large storeroom filled with stacked boxes. As he passed the first stack, he pulled it down behind him on top of Alistair. The jumble of boxes tripped him over, sprawling him onto the floor. In an instant, the lament leapt on him, grabbing him around the throat with one hand while scrabbling for his knife with the other. Alistair could feel the crushing pressure of the man's fingers on his windpipe, the fingernails gouging. The lament's shaven head and shining face loomed over him. The face warped in a look of triumph for having turned the table so effectively. Alistair's gun had been knocked from his hand and he couldn't reach it with the lament on his chest. He punched at the lament with his left hand, landing a few ineffectual blows that his assailant shrugged off and maintained his grip. With his right hand, Alice groped for the skin dew tucked in the top of his stocking, and as he brought his knee up to try and dislodge his assailant, he was able to grip its hilt. Pulling it free, he started to frenziedly stab the lament's back. Anywhere it didn't matter. As the blows rained down, the lament realized with horror what was happening. Clutching at his side in shock, blood pouring from the multiple stab wounds, Alice was now able to catch him with a solid punch to the jaw, dislodging him from his chest and sprawling him to the ground. Shouting and screaming, the guard tried to drag himself away, smearing a trail of blood behind him. Alistair judged that given the volume of the red stuff, he must have caught his liver. He picked himself up, rubbing his throat, looking for his gun to finish the bastard off. The guard scrabbled for his communications unit, and before Alistair could do anything, had pressed the thick red emergency response button. A second later, the alarm sounded. Cursing, Alistair found his pistol under a box, and without a second thought, put a bullet between the guard's eyes. He quickly patted the corpse down for anything that might be useful. Most of all, he wanted a security pass, as Nin had the one they'd taken from their earlier victim. He eventually found one in the man's breast pocket and turned to retrace his steps. The alarm was sounding continually, which made it very hard for him to communicate with Fiona. He just had to work his own way back to the torture chamber and the stairs, hoping that Nin was still going to be there waiting for him. They had no chance of getting out of here alone. The only hope they had was to work as a team. He ran down the corridors trying to retrace his steps. They all looked the same. Dull brick-lined gloomy corridors lined with doors to cells with who knew who inside. He was beginning to think that he would got lost when he saw the blinding white of the torture chamber ahead. Stepping over the body of the dead lament wedged in the doorway, he saw the room was empty. Nin had left him. Trying to remain calm, he ran to the big steel entrance door. Fumbling with a security pass, he swiped it through the reader. The LED flashed red. He tried again. The LED flashed red. The door wouldn't open. They must have deactivated the doors, probably standard procedure in the event of a prison breakout or infiltration. Fucking fuck. Trapped like a rat in a trap, six stories below ground in the Lamentations torture chamber. In terms of scenarios, he was struggling to imagine a worse one. What the hell was he going to do now? Chapter 73, Donna. Kirsty and Donna Lamont had hated each other ever since they'd met at Stornoway University over 20 years before. Rivals since the first day of their degree course in computer science and applied mathematics, they'd vied for top spot all the way through. They should have been friends. After all, they were both highly talented programmers. To have two such talented female programmers on the course at the same time had given the faculty a frisson of glamour. It allowed the principal to bask in their reflected glory as their growing enmity spurred them on to outdo each other in international competitions, bringing fame and a wealth of new fee-paying applicants for his courses. Eventually they had gone their separate ways, but fate had now brought them together again. Except this time, Kirsty was bound to a chair in Donna's office, while Donna barked questions at her, delivering a slap for a slow response or a wrong answer. Although her face stung, Kirsty could tell that Donna had not done this before, The slaps were too feeble. Not that she led on, though, moaning and groaning as best she could to make Donna feel powerful and in control. But the bitch was enjoying it a little too much for her liking, all those years of hatred bubbling to the surface. While Donna was letting her sadistic side loose on her, Kirsty was busy working at the webbing that bounded to the chair. When the guard had sat her down, she bulked her arms and held her breath to preserve as much wriggle room as she could, and now the bonds began to loosen. Donna was asking her about the deepest layers of the McNaughton Network's architecture, as she'd found an anomaly which she didn't understand. Kirsty knew that she was talking about the back door. The last thing she wanted was to give away anything that might increase Donna's suspicions. Donna was sat behind her desk, that greasy hair of hers hanging lankly down her face, grey and lifeless. Her eyes glued to the screen of her laptop as she kept interrogating the code, prodding and testing it from a variety of directions. Kirsty was beginning to get nervous that Donna was just going to delete the whole section, thereby stealing them off from the gaming operation forever. Just when she was giving up hope, the alarm sounded. The guard who had stood behind her immediately left the room to head to a muster point. Donna didn't seem concerned, but did toggle away from the network drive to try and find out what was going on. Seems like there's been some kind of altercation in sub-level 6. If I just activate the cameras, I should be able to get a good look at what's going on. Ah oh, yes, there we go. Now, I wonder who that is. Anyone you know? She turned the screen towards Kirsty, who stared at it under her blood soaked fringe. He shook her head. Very curious, Donna thought for a moment. Anyway, he's locked behind that steel door in John Lambert's torch chamber. Two inches of solid steel. Hmm. Don't think he'll be getting past that. Silly fool. I wonder how it will end for him. I imagine that whatever it is, it will be slow. Very slow. Maybe John will use the eels. Still, that's not our problem, and there's no way he's getting out of there, not with the security door sealed. So I think I can safely turn my attention back to you. Kirsty knew that it was now or never. Donna had already dropped many hints that this would be their last session together. She had everything she needed. She was really just toying with her, for old times' sake. Kirsty was due to be transferred to the care of Alan Stewart later that day, which might even mean a trip back to Dundara for him to butcher her there. Oh, the irony. She'd loosened her bonds as much as she could and she hoped that what she was about to do would work. Lifting her foot from the floor, she placed it against Donna's desk and pushed hard, tipping her chair backwards, onto the floor while simultaneously wriggling with all her might. As the chair hit the floor, it splintered and the webbing which bound her came loose enough for her to slip it off the chair's back. She could now stand and she busily worked to free her hands. With horror, Donna realised what was happening and picked up her laptop to batter Kirsty's head with. Finally, Kirsty managed to shrug off the last of her bonds and launch herself across the desk at Donna. They both went down on the floor, Donna still trying to hit Kirsty with her laptop, Kirsty using her fist to pour punches down on her opponent. Kirsty wrestled herself on top of Donna and, sitting astride her, wrapped a network cable around her neck, pulling with all her strength. The plastic was slippery, with sweat or blood she didn't know, but she double wrapped it around her fist as she pulled, the cable biting into her hands. The wounds on her hand screamed with pain, but the adrenaline was pumping and there was no way she was going to stop now. Donna's eyes started to bulge as she clawed at the cable, trying to get her fingers underneath it, anything to relieve the crushing pressure. Kirsty pulled with all her might until Donna's scrabbling diminished, her face turning blue and, and tongue protruding from her tightly drawn lips. Finally, she was still. As she released the tension on the cable, Kirsty realised that she was weeping, with relief rather than over the demise of the dread Donna. The ordeal of the last week threatened to overwhelm her. Part of her just wanted to curl up in the knee-hole of Donna's desk, to hide away. Surely if she just tucked herself away, no one would find her. But a louder, more strident voice forced her onto her feet and to look for a way out. If she stayed here, death was the only outcome. She quickly stripped Donna of most of her clothes and picked up Donna's laptop. She was about to stuff it in her bag when she had an idea. She quickly opened it and pulling Donna's limp head up from the floor by her greasy hair to allow the facial recognition software to scan her face and log on. Once she was on the network, it only took Kirsty a matter of moments to change the security scan to a password of her choice. That way she'd be able to access all of Donna's password-protected areas and administrator codes at her leisure, assuming she got out of there alive. She was about to shut the screen when she had another idea. She needed a diversion if she was going to have a chance of escape and the maniac on the sixth sub-basement was the perfect tactic. She pulled up a command prompt and punched in a few lines of code, questing for the right commands to open the steel security door. Finding what she hoped was the right location, she wrote the instruction and pressed return. She could do no more. Now she had to get away. Fortunately, Donna's office was on the first floor, so she did not have far to go. But with the sound of running feet coming from all directions, she was going to have to pick her moment carefully. Bloodbond was written and recorded by Nick Bastin. The Reel of the Red Banner was written and performed by Ewan Henderson. This has been a Book of the Black Tower production.